Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Proverbs is a part of the wisdom literature in the Bible. And you notice that a reoccurring theme in Proverbs is the contrast between the wise and the fool. Now with the wise person, we maybe think first of someone who has a high IQ, someone who knows a lot, or who has gathered a lot of knowledge, or who has university degrees. And the fools are then people who don't have a lot of intellect or learning. But that's not what the Bible means when it speaks of wisdom and foolishness. In the Bible, we meet people who are very smart and learned, but who at the same time are amazingly foolish. And on the other hand, you can have very plain and simple people who, according to the Bible, are incredibly wise. And that's because wisdom and foolish aren't really about intelligence, but about your attitude and how you live practically. So what's the difference then between the wise and foolish person in the Bible? Well, foolishness is described, for instance, in verse 32 of our chapter, in that verse, foolishness is identified with exalting oneself. A foolish person who elevates him or herself above others. Like those in verse 11, who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. They refuse to listen to their fathers and their mothers because they think they know better than them. They say, oh, what do you know, mom and dad? I know what to do. I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. I can find my own way. See, a fool is someone who doesn't want to listen to advice or correction, but goes by his own or her own thoughts and feelings and desires. We live in an age when people figure they don't need to listen to others, and there's nothing to learn from history. They just go by their own emotions and feelings and wishes. The thing to do is just follow your heart in everything. And you realize from Proverbs that there's nothing new under the sun. There were lots of people in Agur's days who thought the same way. It's the attitude of the fool who exalts himself and ignores reason and advice and goes by his own thoughts and feelings and emotions. He doesn't need others. He doesn't need God to decide how to live his life. On the other hand, there's the wise person, someone like Agur who wrote the words of Proverbs 30. We don't know for sure who he was, but if you look at the beginning of this chapter, you see that he doesn't boast about how smart he is. And notice that in the first verse, he declares to God that he's weary and worn out. That sounds a lot like the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. The preacher tried to figure out what goes on in the world among people. He searched things out, but in the end it says it wearied him out. All he, conclude, all he could con conclude is that everything is vanity. All is vanity, he writes. In other words, if I try to figure things out with my own thoughts and feelings, 
I don't get any closer to figuring out the how and why of everything in the world. I only tire myself out and have to accept that the wisdom of God is far greater than I can ever grasp with my puny mind. That's also why the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 that with the gospel of the cross of Christ, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world that lives without God. So that's the difference between wise and foolish person then. The fool says, I know it all. I just need to go by my own feelings and thoughts and I'll be fine. The wise person, on the other hand, says, because of my sinful nature, I'm a fool of myself. I need to go by God's word, by the gospel he has made known in this fallen world. And you realize then why it says a number of times in the Bible that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. To humbly look to God above everything you think and feel is the beginning of becoming wise. In New Testament terms, to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ is the beginning of wise thinking and living. That's what Edgar wants to emphasize in our text. He uses four creatures to draw our attention to the kind of wisdom we need to live this life in the fear of the Lord. With that in mind, I proclaim the text with this theme. Consider the small creatures and become wise. They teach us to, in the first place, repair, prepare for the future. In the second place, seek the safe place. In the third place, stay strong with others. And in the fourth place, stay humble. In the first place, prepare for the future. The first critter Agar draws our attention to is the lowly and common ant. You see them all over during the summer, boys and girls. When you walk on the sidewalk, you often see all kinds of them scurrying around. Or you see ants when you're on a hike in the forest. They're busy little creatures, always looking for something to take to their anthills or tunnels. And, that, and what is an ant really? Tiny creatures. You can put an end to the lives of many of them by stepping on them. The ants are certainly a people not strong as, at all, as Agur says in the text. But ants are always scurrying to and fro from in the summer to the fall. That's because they're already gathering provisions for the coming winter. Like it says in Proverbs 6, verse 6, where the lazy person is told to look at the busy ant and consider how she gathers her food and prepares it in harvest for the winter. Agar says, ants show us wisdom in that they do their utmost to use they have, the time they have to prepare for the winter. They teach us a spiritual lesson in that use, use the time God gives you to prepare for times of difficulty. In fact, to prepare for when he calls you out of this life. In connection with that, think of the well-known words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes 12 to young people. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days draw near of what you will say, I have no pleasure in them. See, you can think of your life in terms of the four seasons, 
Spring is when you're a child. The summer represents maturity. The fall of life is then your senior years when life slows down and you're not able to do what you used to anymore. And the winter is then when you descend into the hibernation of death, so to speak. You no longer have a place here on this earth. Brothers and sisters, are you preparing yourself for that winter while you have the time and the opportunity now? Are we busy now like the ants, preparing ourselves for when winter comes, the winter of death? Are we using the time of youth and maturity and seniority to grow in the Lord before the winter comes, the sleep of death, when the Lord calls us out of this life into eternity? The busy ants teach us not just to live for here and now, not just to seize the day as, it had off, as it's often said, but to always consider your life and how you live it in the light of the future. The famous 18th century revival preacher Jonathan Edwards once said that he prayed that God would write the word eternity on his eyeballs so that whenever he looked, he would always see things in the light of eternity. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, too, we exist on this earth not just to put in our time, but we're given this life to prepare for eternity. Do we see our life here as a time of grace to make ourselves ready to live with God and with his Son in everlasting holiness and joy and glory? How do you actually prepare for that? The Bible points the way. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will have eternal life. In John 11, the Lord Jesus said to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who he raised from the dead, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Wondrous words of our Savior. Do you believe those words? Do you believe in him? Oh, if the ants don't manage to gather enough provisions for the winter, they will certainly die. In the same way, if during the seasons of your life, you don't come to living faith in Jesus Christ, you will die forever. So you see, the lesson of the ant is a serious is serious. It is a life and death matter. So brothers and sisters, boys and girls, seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ and live. In Christ, you are righteous before God and heir to life everlasting. Follow him who is the wisdom of God and righteousness and salvation and redemption. We come to the second part of the sermon. Seek the safe place. The second creature mentioned in the text is called the rock badger. The word used is difficult to translate, and some Bible translations have coney here, known in Western Canada as the pika. I prefer that translation as these little animals live at great heights in the mountains among the rock falls, 
It is a small brown animal the size of a guinea pig. Pikas have a number of enemies, the greatest being the eagle with its great curved beak and large talons. The eagles soar above the mountainsides, and with their sharp eyesight, they look down for their favorite prey. And when an eagle sees a pika, he swoops down with talons stretched out to grab that pika behind the head and to fly away with it to a high rock to tear it apart and eat it. You realize that those little furry animals would never be able to fight off a powerful eagle. But that's why it has its home among the rock falls on the mountain slopes. If a pika would live in the middle of a meadow, it would never survive. So it lives among the high boulders. And when it senses danger, it warns all the pikas around with a high-pitched whistle. And all the pikas dive into their homes under the rocks. See, congregation, the pika knows its own weakness, and it knows its enemies, especially its greatest enemy, the eagle. And that's why the Spirit offers the pika as an example to us. Do we as Christians know our greatest enemies? Do we accept how weak we are in ourselves? Our greatest enemy is the devil. In 1 Peter 5, the Apostle Peter describes him as a roaring lion, prowling about, seeking someone to devour. So not a lion in the zoo, which you can watch from behind a high fence, or thick glass sunning itself peacefully on a rock. No, like a very hungry lion prowling around on the savanna in Africa. When it sees an antelope, it creeps through the high grass to suddenly pounce and kill it. You can watch how he does that on YouTube. Well, that's what the devil is like too. He wants to pounce on you and drag you away with him to destruction. Peter understood that. That's what, that, that's what the devil is like. Remember how just before his arrest in Gethsemane, the Lord Jesus warned Peter that the devil wanted to take hold of him, make him sin and draw him away from the Lord. But Peter said to Jesus, Don't worry about me. Even if the others would desert you, I would never do that. And there you have the attitude of the fool who exalts himself. Remember? Well, a few hours later, Peter denied the Lord Jesus. When he was asked whether he was one of Jesus' disciples, he denied it. Three times, even swearing an oath that he didn't belong with Jesus. You see how the devil got Peter, and if Jesus hadn't prayed for him, he would have been dragged to destruction. So the devil prowls around looking for prey, or he circles above you in the sky like a sharp-eyed eagle. And not only should we know our enemies, the devil as well as the world and our own sinful nature, as we confess from the Bible and the Catechism, we also need to realize and accept that we are weak and vulnerable of ourselves. Like the little pika. Think again of Peter, the disciple who was so close to Jesus, how easily he fell. So we shouldn't think that we can stand on our own, that we can fight off our enemies on our own. We need a safe place, 
like the pika among the rocks. We need to stay near the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. We need to flee to him who has been given all power and authority in heaven and on earth for our protection. Don't think you can defend yourself from the attacks of the devil on your own. No, you need to build your house on the rock, Jesus Christ. Continually take refuge in him in prayer and through listening to his gospel. Then he'll intercede for you as he did for Peter. A believer never thinks he or she can take on the temptations of the evil one in their own, on their own. They run to Jesus in prayer and by opening his word when temptations draw near. They know that they are weak and he is strong. Their enemies can't touch them when they go to him. He is their rock of refuge. Seek your safety with him, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. He wants you to have life and to have it abundantly. We come to the third part of our message this morning. Stay strong with others. We come to the third creature mentioned in the text, the locust. A locust, you probably know, is a much larger version of the grasshopper, which we know here. Locusts found in Africa and the Middle East and Asia live in huge swarms. And they move around in those swarms and they eat anything that grows, that grows leaves. And leave whole fields and orchards and vineyards completely bare of the leaves. A single locust, you realize, is no problem. But they don't come in ones or twos or even thousands. They come in swarms of millions and millions, darkening the sky and causing terror to farmers who know that their crops can completely be eaten up. It's no wonder that in the Bible, great invading armies are compared to swarms of locusts marching through the land. But the amazing thing is that while an invading army has a king and generals, has leaders, a swarm of locusts has no leadership, no king. There is no locust that stands out or is bigger than the others and is therefore their leader. No, they all move together in unison. And as they march together then, those locusts are strong. See, that is how it is with the wise too. The wise person realizes but by, that by themselves they are weak and vulnerable. The wise person understands that he or she needs others and others need them. And that stands in contrast to the modern culture of today, doesn't it? Nowadays, it's all about individual rights and freedoms. You notice some of that today when you have some people refusing to wear masks or practice social distancing during this pandemic. It's all about their individual rights and freedoms. And if you think about it, our society today is more and more a collection of individuals with each person doing their own thing. They want everyone to be left alone to do what they want or feel. You're strong and you can make your life the way you want it to be. Nobody may stand in your way. Just follow your heart and live out your own desires. But as we mentioned before, that's the attitude of the fool. 
Sure, the Bible agrees that we're all unique people, but the Bible also shows us that we need others, and others need us. We're social people. We need community, communion, and that's what the church is about. Jesus Christ didn't die for individuals here and there. No, he gave his blood for the church. And that's because he knows that we can't survive in this world as, on our own as Christians. You can't row against the stream of our present secular culture on your own. You can't keep up the fight of faith by yourself today. Imagine that you were a Christian on your own, without church, without communion of saints. How long do you think you could keep following the Lord Jesus Christ in your daily life? How long do you think you could keep believing in the Bible and living according to it? See, congregation, we need each other to guide, encourage, comfort, admonish, and help each other. And that's why our Savior instituted his church. He is our king, but he's in heaven. And yet, we're united as his people on earth. It's by his spirit and word that he now gathers, defends, and preserves a church for himself in the unity of faith. As individual believers and as individual believing churches, we seek each other out because we all need each other. And now we come to the last part of our text, stay humble. The last creature Agar uses in our text to impress godly wisdom on us is the lizard. In warmer countries, you find lizards all over. If you're quick, you can catch one and hold it in your cupped hand, as the text describes. But they're not warm, cuddly creatures that you would actually like to hold or clutch to your heart. They're cold and scaly with long tongues that flick out like the tongues of snakes, loathsome and lowly creatures. As Christians, we're like lizards in a certain way. There's nothing warm and lovable about us. We're poor, miserable sinners. And according to worldly standards, we're weak and foolish nobodies, as it says in 1 Corinthians 1. And yet the apostle says there, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world so that none of us might boast in the presence of God. That's why the Lord Jesus stated more than once in the Gospels that he who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's what following Jesus Christ means. He humbled himself even to death for us. How then could we exalt ourselves and think that we know better than what God says in his word about how to think and speak and live. And congregation, that's why the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that in the proper time he may exalt you. Just follow your Savior in being humble, even if what you stand for is despised by the world. Continue in humility with Jesus even if that means there are others who look down on you, who consider you a scaly, slithery, loathsome lizard. Because in the end, you will be exalted 
you will, because of grace, be found in the palace of the king. So the lizard tells us not to think too highly of ourselves, but to be humble in your faith and walk in Jesus Christ. And by his grace, you will in time be found in the king's palace, in the presence of the king of kings. In conclusion then, the spirit through Agur instructs us to consider those four creatures and become wise, to follow the gospel rather than your own reasonings and feelings. Then you'll prepare for the future like an ant. You'll seek safety in the rock like the pika. You'll stay strong with others like the locust. And finally, you'll seek to be humble like the lizard who ends up in the king's palace. Amen.